0: Hello, and thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. In this interview, you're going to hear from Dr. Andrew Holland. He's an associate professor in the Department of Molecular Biology and Genetics and the Department of Oncology at Johns Hopkins. My colleague Suzanne Greer spoke with him because he's one of our newest Mission Boost grant recipients. Mission Boost grants are opportunities for current or, or recent ACS grantees to to receive additional funding or boost funding to kind of push forward the high-risk, high-reward project. So in Dr. Holland's new project, he's taking a really neat approach. Some of the cancer drugs that have been in clinics for a long time work by targeting, rapidly dividing tumor cells, right? Problem is, these drugs also kill healthy dividing cells, and that leads to severe side effects like diarrhea, nausea, exhaustion. And so in his new Mission Boost grant, Dr. Holland uh, is using those funds to build on some of his findings to develop a novel anti-cancer strategy that allows for the specific killing of tumor cells without affecting the healthy dividing cells. So let's get into it. This is Dr. Susanna Greer talking with Dr. Andrew Holland.
1: Andrew how are you doing? I'm very well thank you. Well thanks so much for taking some time to talk to us this afternoon. I'm excited to catch up on your research and kind of get a feel for what you're excited about and what's next. Um, So thanks for sharing your time.
2: My pleasure, looking forward to it.
1: All right so let's start off with something really cool that happened recently. So we chatted and then you got official notification that you had a, a new grant actually. This is your second award from the American Cancer Society. Um, so recently you found out that you received one our, of our Mission Boost grants and those are pretty incredible grants there for scientists, for researchers who are in a preclinical space but are bringing their research or kind of at a pivotal point to move their research into the clinic. So. Congratulations first we're excited for you. Thank you very much and I just want to know, so what's it like? What was it like to get that phone call? Was this something you expected or was it kind of out of the blue?
2: Yeah, I don't think you you ever expect something like that uh, so it it takes you a little by surprise. Of course, you know that that grant has been submitted, and so you're still waiting for an outcome but it's uh, it's certainly a very pleasant uh, call to receive and I think it's exciting on two levels first of all. Um, Your grant has been rigorously peer-reviewed by the um, American Cancer Society, and that means other experts uh, in the field have looked at your work, and so in some way this is validation of some of the ideas and approaches that you're proposing. And then just as importantly, it provides critical funds at a very important time in a project to allow you to continue to pursue your ideas and hopefully bring something forward that might be able to benefit people in the clinic.
1: Well, the reviewers were – super excited about your grant. So, I think you definitely got that expert validation and it's good to know that the funding is going to be helpful and and help to kind of move you to a space where we hope that your research will be even more impactful to the clinic and to that patient population. So, one of the the things, I, I guess in particular, I had a question because this is a different funding mechanism for the ACS is does this fill a void for funding in your lab? And I guess to say it another way is, um, is this a place in this kind of preclinical space where it's more difficult to get funding, or is this an easy spot? Just could you, could you explain that a little bit to our listeners?
2: Well, yeah, this is really important for us. I mean, nothing ever happens in a vacuum. So a project like this is something that's being uh, developed in the lab, maybe without any particular focus, but it's being developed in the lab for more than a year as we test New ideas that emerge from existing directions of our research, and then we bring that to a point where we 're excited and we think that we might have something that could be of utility in the clinic, and this grant mechanism uh, is ideally suited to allow us to try to take this to the next level and so without this funding we don 't have the opportunity to be able to do the additional work that would be necessary to to test this concept so it 's really important for us, I think it does fill. Um, a a great need for us in our research right now. And it it fills a a gap in in an area where we didn't have funding and something that we were just pushing along on the side um, as and when we could. And now we can put more directed effort and resources towards this, the goals outlined in this proposal.
1: Well, we're awfully excited to bring this research to the forefront of what you're doing. So, I, I want to catch our listeners up on what you've been up to. So I've done a bit of reading about you, and what you're doing is moving pretty quickly, it seems, from what we would call more basic or developmental science to the bedside, so to the clinic. So in order for our listeners though, to understand why what you do is so critical and exciting and important and why those expert reviewers really validated your preliminary data and your ideas, is that we're all gonna have to kind of have a little bit of review of mitosis. And we've talked about mitosis before on the podcast, so I don't think that we have to rehash that, but maybe we could talk about why is the regulation of mitosis so important for cell division in general?
2: Well, our bodies are built of millions of building block cells and these cells have to be able to make copies of themselves or replicate. And this happens millions of times a day as these cells replace lost and damaged cells in our tissues and organs. And in order for that to happen, the cell has to be able to take its instruction manual, which is the blueprint for how the cell behaves, encoded in something known as DNA, and it has to be able to equally partition that into the two new daughter cells during cell division. And we study how that process occurs and how it goes wrong in cancer. And what we know is that cancer is really a disease of dysregulated cell proliferation where cells grow uncontrollably at the expense of their neighbors. And it turns out that they make lots of mistakes when they divide in in segregating their or partitioning their DNA. And that often leads to errors in this instruction manual that can cause abnormalities in cell behavior. Okay. So
1: that makes good sense then, that if all cells have to divide... And during the process of cell division, the instructions that that help a cell to know what it's supposed to do and how it's gonna do it, that instruction manual also has to be copied in the form of DNA, that that's critical for just life. And that cancer cells need to divide a lot, as you said, it's a, a disease of cell division in some ways this process so that you study mitosis would be really critical to cancer cell growth. So we know that, right? We've known that for a while. So we have these drugs that target this process, these anti-mitotic drugs. So can you help us to understand a little bit about what it is about these drugs and maybe about cancer cells that make them vulnerable to drugs that target mitosis?
2: Absolutely. So because cancer is dysregulated cell growth, drugs that target the cell division machinery, the apparatus that's required for cell division, have been used successfully in the clinic for decades as anti-cancer therapeutics. In fact, some of the best-selling chemotherapeutics of all time are drugs that target the mitotic apparatus. And the thought is that these are effective because cancer cells have to proliferate. And if you target the machinery required for cell division, then that will uh, slow down or prevent the continued growth of those tumors. But these drugs have notable limitations uh, in the clinic. Many patients develop resistance to these drugs. And in addition, they have side effects or cytotoxicities that are associated with chemotherapy. And those are things like nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, et cetera. And those arise because these drugs don't only kill the rapidly proliferating tumor cells, but they also kill the healthy proliferating cells in our body because there are cells in our bone marrow and gut that are turning over every single day. And so these drugs are indiscriminate in the way they destroy the proliferating cells. And what that means is that as well as killing the tumor cells, you also kill healthy cells. And that ultimately causes um, unwanted side effects that limit the dose and duration of treatments that can, of the treatments. And so one thing that we've been trying to understand for a long time is are there selective vulnerabilities in the cell division apparatus that are unique to cancer cells that can allow us to better discriminate the divisions of tumor cells from those of healthy proliferating cells.
1: So I guess there's a good and a bad here, right? So anti drugs have been incredibly successful. Uh, in the clinic but they have some pretty severe limitations and one of those that you described to us was around adverse events and toxicities and I, I like the word you use that a lot of that negative piece of using an anti drug is because of the indiscriminate nature of the drugs. They're gonna target any cell that is going through cell division, rapidly dividing, and and you pointed out different parts of the body that could be impacted um, that might cause some of these adverse events. And we think about, uh, you mentioned the colon, we think about hair loss and impact on the skin, all those things. So I think we can all understand that. One of the things I'm really interested in you telling us about is your work, which really focuses on trying to find something about cell division and about mitosis that's specific to cancer cells that's not indiscriminate, that's quite specific. And. You're looking at differences in cancer cells and normal cells that you could target therapeutically, again, quite specifically, and it seems like you've had some pretty impressive success in finding a vulnerability around cell division that's specific to breast cancer cells, um, a specific type of breast cancer cell. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely. So exactly as you mentioned, because of the indiscriminate nature in which these current anti-mitotic drugs act to kill all proliferating cells in the body. My lab for some time has been interested in the idea of whether we could exploit some specific vulnerabilities in the cell division apparatus that might be unique to cancer cells. And what we've uncovered actually quite accidentally in the beginning was a specific alteration in the genetic information uh, that yields a vulnerability of those cancer cells to specific agents uh, that target the cell division machinery. And so in particular, this genetic alteration is prevalent in uh, breast cancers. About 10 to 20 percent of breast cancers have this type of alteration. And so what we think is that you will be able to use the agents that disrupt cell division in a very targeted fashion, specifically in those cancers that have these types of alterations. And these agents are fairly well tolerated in healthy proliferating cells. And so we think that this is a more of a targeted approach to uh, selectively destroying the tumor
1: cells. So you have found basically kind of a problem in the blueprint, right? So you've looked around and, and really carefully found a change in the blueprint and this genetic information that's specific to breast cancer cells not found in normal cells, and not present in all breast cancers, but a, a a significant number of breast cancers, and one of the things that you mentioned is that these agents um, are actually tolerated in by normal cells, and the reason we know that, or one of the reasons, I guess, is that some of these agents are actually in early clinical trials for metastatic breast cancer. So. One of the things I'm interested to understand is how could the work that you're doing change the way we're using some of these agents to treat breast cancers?
2: Yeah, so what we hope is that this will allow us to use these agents in a more intelligent setting by identifying individuals that carry this glitch in the genetic information that would yield those tumor cells to be much more susceptible and vulnerable to these types of agents. And so by doing this in a targeted way, you can spare the use of these drugs in patients that are less likely to be respond, and instead utilize them in more effective capacities in those, in those patients that carry the specific vulnerabilities uh, that make these drugs more effective.
1: Okay, so that's cool. So you're looking for patients who have the specific problem in their blueprint, and you, you call that problem a vulnerability. So if that's the case, then could you potentially have an impact on changing the side effects that come from these drugs when you're targeting cell division?
2: Yes, we hope so. Because these agents will be well tolerated in normal proliferating cells that don't have these alterations in the blueprint, then you would hope that this would also avoid many of the toxic side effects that are associated with the chemotherapy, which are in large part caused by killing of those normal healthy proliferating cells. So this is more of a targeted approach or precision cancer medicine where you're, instead of using generic drugs to treat wide varieties of cancers, you're using drugs that are specifically designed to be effective against the the type of genetic alterations that are present in an individual's tumor.
1: So if that's the case, if you're looking for a specific alteration in a specific tumor type. Is there the possibility that your work could expand beyond breast cancer?
2: Yes. Yeah, so it turns out that this genetic alteration is present in um, other cancer types as well, uh, in, a, in a wide number of different cancer types. It's just more common in breast cancers than it is in these other cancer types. And so our prediction would be that any tumors that, can take, that contain this type of alteration would be more sensitive to these agents because these agents would now disrupt the divisions of those cancer cells and selectively destroy them. And so, for example, we know that in some pediatric uh, brain tumors, these alterations are quite common, and also in some pancreatic cancers, et cetera. So we hope that this would be uh, applicable to other types of tumors as well.
1: So that piece is really exciting to me, but uh, there may be some other aspect of this science that we haven't talked about that is... What gets you up in the morning or maybe keeps you up at night? Could you give us a little insight? What are you particularly excited about right now?
2: Well, cell division is a fundamental process. It's one of the bases of life itself. And so it wasn't entirely clear to us when we set out on this endeavor that there would be mechanistic differences in the way tumor cells and normal cells divide. And if there were no differences, then there wouldn't be anything to discriminate the divisions of tumor cells and normal cells. And then, uh, of course, we wouldn't be able to develop therapies that were selected for cancer that were specifically targeting cell division in tumor cells and not normal cells. And so I think what's exciting for us is that this demonstrates that this principle can work. And we hope that this is really just scratching the surface and that further exploration will lead to the discovery of other vulnerabilities Uh, in the cell division apparatus of cancer cells that could be exploited therapeutically. We haven't really discussed what the vulnerability is in detail, but just to say that during cell division, when the blueprint Mm. is equally partitioned into the two new cells, you require a, a machine that actually carries out the task of physically pulling apart and dividing that blueprint into the two new cells. And that machine is built of uh, linear filaments, and those filaments are generated by a specific organizing center. And we find that that organizing center is not particularly important in the divisions of normal cells. And in fact, normal cells can divide relatively well in the absence of this organizing center, but cancer cells that have this specific genomic alteration are absolutely dependent on that organizing center, And so that is the, the core of the vulnerability that we think we've uncovered.
1: You know, but the really interesting, or I guess one of the really interesting things to me is that this is such a fantastic lesson to all of us, to all scientists, that just because you think that something is, I guess, we know everything we could know, We absolutely don't. I mean, it seems like you're in a very different space, I imagine, than perhaps you thought you would be in, maybe even 12 months ago.
2: Absolutely. So this has been something that we've conceived of for a long time, but um, we didn't have any real evidence in the lab to demonstrate this was going to be possible. And um, many of these projects start out as uh, small ideas that we work out just with part of our time while we focus on main projects and we just hope that some of these ideas will come to fruition and will be a benefit for cancer research community and the patients. And so we're excited by this discovery, but we think it's really a foundation for further work uh, that would allow us to identify additional mechanisms along a similar premise.
1: Could you tell us what happened to allow you to make kind of this fundamental discovery that if you were to think about this, information that has to be not only duplicated but separated physically pulled apart and you talk to us about this molecular machine that is uh, playing a role in this process and the fact that you made a pretty fundamental discovery about the utility of some of the components of that machine and tumor cells versus normal cell what happened that allowed you to make that discovery that perhaps you didn't have this advantage um, or this understanding maybe just even a couple of years ago
2: Yeah, well, this is all work that we were doing in collaboration with a fantastic uh, friend and colleague at the University of Oxford, Ross Chapman. And we had um, small molecule drugs that inhibit enzymes, uh, particularly enzyme uh, kinase. And these proteins are involved in modifying other proteins in the cell. And we know that this uh, particular small molecule acts by depleting from cells the organizing center that's required to build this molecular machine to petition the blueprint during cell division. And we were simply carrying out curiosity-based experiments with these small molecules, and what we found was that most cancer cells grow very well, and so do most normal cells, in the presence of this small molecule, this drug. But then what we accidentally stumbled across was that there were some cancer cells that seemed extremely sensitive to this drug. And that was confusing to us. We didn't understand why. And after more exploration, um, what we eventually discovered was that the cancer cells that were sensitive had this specific glitch, this alteration in their genetic information. And we were able to demonstrate that it was that alteration that underlie, that caused this increase in sensitivity to the drug, and uh, we subsequently went about understanding the mechanism of how that actually works, and the objective of this work now is to try to move this forward into a clinical space to see if this can be a benefit for patients.
1: So, in essence, you were looking for a needle in a haystack, right? I mean, you, were, you found this group of cancer cells that acted differently that didn't grow well when you inhibited or or took away this organization of the machine and so you were it seems like really just kind of going on your gut that there had to be something different about these cells compared to other cancer cells compared to other normal cells so i think it's really a um, feather in your cap that you kept looking and i'm sure to all the the folks in your lab who contributed to those efforts
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think that many of the important discoveries that we make in science uh, usually start out with a little bit of good fortune. And I think that there was some good fortune to play here. Um, And really, the important thing is that when you see something that you weren't looking for and that you weren't expecting, you have to pay attention. And in the context of a well controlled experiment, it's important then to go about trying to dissect why you're seeing uh, what what you're observing. And in this case, what we were seeing was that some cancer cells were extremely sensitive to these drugs. That's not something we'd necessarily expected. But once we'd seen it, we knew that it could be important if we could understand why.
1: So it seems like your advice might be that a little bit of luck is fantastic, but you also have to plan some (laughs) really good experiments and then be willing to follow your gut um, when something unexpected happens.
2: Absolutely, and I think that it just goes to show you that the course of science is not always predictable and um, that you just have to be ready to change direction and and also prepared to change the way you're thinking as new data appears in the lab. By the very nature, when you're working at the boundaries of what we know and what we understand, there's often um, a lot of uncertainty. And so you can't really predict where you're going to end up.
1: I love that parallel to what many of our listeners are going through um, who are cancer patients uh, or folks who love them or survivors, because cancer is unexpected, right? And it induces an incredible amount of uncertainty into our lives. So I think just for my final question, I'd love to know if there is a message you would like to share with our listeners who have been impacted by cancer.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I'd like to deeply thank all the people at ACS and all the the people who work on their behalf and the donors who are helping to support the work that we're doing. I think we're incredibly grateful for that. For all those people who are currently impacted by cancer, I would like to just note that I think progress is being made, and unfortunately, it's not always fast enough. Um, but the landscape is changing. There are amazing advances in science today that mean that people are able to survive cancers that they weren't able to survive just a few years ago. But I think the main message that I would send is that we're really excited by this research direction. And I think that it's absolutely critical that there are grants like this that can help uh, people try to take a promising concept and move it forward rapidly into the clinic to try to help patients. But it is also really important to continue fundamental exploration into basic processes that are relevant to cancer because ultimately tomorrow's therapies come from the discoveries that have yet to be made and we will run out of things to translate if we don't understand the basic fundamental mechanisms of how we control cell proliferation and cell growth and grants like this as i said they take more than a year of work to even get them to the point where they're ready to be submitted to be funded and so it's important to have stable long-term funding in order to be able to explore new directions. And this is something I think the ACS does extraordinarily well through their scholars program, of which I was lucky to be a part. They fund people who are doing basic exploration into processes that are relevant to cancer. And to me, that's absolutely essential if we're going to continue to make significant advances in understanding and fighting, ultimately fighting this disease. And the example I would give is that of immunotherapy, which has been transformational in, in treating cancers, in a wide variety of cancers. And the initiating discoveries that led to the development of cancer immunotherapy came from people who were trying to understand how the immune system works. And once they made a discovery that told them something about how the immune system worked, they then recognized how that could be applied in the form of cancer therapy. And so discoveries come from unexpected directions, and I think it's really very important that we c- you continue to support broad research uh, into fundamental processes relevant to
1: cancer. Thank you, Andrew. Beautifully said, and we are so excited about what you're doing. Incredibly proud of you and looking forward to um, all that's to come. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us this afternoon.
2: Thank you very much.